the end of my using in particular, like I picture like an actual whirlpool, like in like a horror film or something like where somebody's like spiraling down into like darkness, <laughs> you know, like circling the drain <laughs> because that's how it felt. Are you ready for another inspiring episode of the Knocking Doors Down podcast? Your host, Jason LaChance here. Through my struggles with addiction, depression, and anxiety, I developed a passion for speaking with those who turn their greatest adversities into their greatest advantages and finding purposeful living and being of service to others. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right, not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. And my extraordinary guest, Suki Jones. Suki joined me in studio to discuss her book, See Swallow Me, an addiction memoir. It's set against the backdrop of the early 1990s in the Bay Area. Suki details her drug addiction that almost killed her. Suki is not only sharing on this podcast, but also in her book, her powerful story of resilience and redemption. And if you'd like to pick up a copy of See Swallow Me, an addiction memoir by Suki Jones, click the link in the podcast description. Everybody's, it is so different. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I've, I've dug into your book a bit, haven't finished it yet. And I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see where for you, you know, th- th- I mean, there's, there's a clear lineage. You yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. For me, there's a clear lineage, yeah. but I saw it and I was like, I'm not going that way. Right. Yeah. Did you go through that too? Like, I definitely I- did because my dad, well, and it's interesting because you were talking about sex love addiction like just when you said that just now at this moment i was like oh my god i wonder if my dad (laughs) was like a sex and love addict like i because he was always you know philandering and like cheating and um looking for the next woman (laughs) you know when he was married to my mom and i was like wow i wonder i wonder if that was a thing for him and i'd never thought about that until this moment I'm willing to bet, because there's a part I got to in, in your book, correct me if I'm misremembering, but where he was making reference to you were little and something about how to fix your hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, yeah. I, 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 you know, granted, I didn't have a female sibling, but very much that, you know, that outward image of it. And I think Absolutely. a lot of people, especially like that sex and love addiction. He wanted to, like, addiction. fine-tune me yes. and perfect me. And that was very much, like, a theme, like, in his family. like my grandmother was like a socialite and like it was very much like a thing like from the outside no matter what was going on in in the house everything had to look perfect from the outside so i mean that was just you know my dad carried that on with me yeah you know like i didn't leave that like you you have to wear a slip under your dress and yours those are the wrong socks and (laughs) your hair's not on the right side and little girls don't do that like it was all that kind of stuff 
Uh, which is interesting because normally that's I normally hear that from a mother's standpoint. Right, yeah. You know, the the, the narcissistic mom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, I, and I'm going to say, you know, sex and love addiction definitely a narcissistic thing. I mean, like how how selfish. Yes. Like to just I mean, it's one thing when we want to get loaded and we we screw stuff up for other people that way, but it's like what are the two things people most kill over is like sex romance and money you know right. what i'm saying yeah. it's like yeah. and then i'm i know drugs deals and everything else is right behind that but it's it creates such insanity for me it was a, a tremendous amount of in, uh, um, instability once i started to understand what was going on it was like you know uh, a lot of resentment and ironically to then head down that path too it's, yeah you know when people say you need to write your book it's like I don't know the path su- surprised I took. I don't even know how to quantify it yet. Yeah. Still, yeah. I don't know about what about you. Well, I think a lot for me. Like I, I had like um, this template of what I thought like alcoholism looked like because my because I looked at the way my dad was. Like sure. I, I saw how he acted and the way his addiction and alcoholism, like where that took him, and so I had in my head like I'm not going to be like that. But like his alcoholism, as we were just talking about, like there's it, there's nobody. It's not cookie cutter. Like right. nobody's addiction is gonna look the same. It might be close. You might hear like your story in somebody else's share or whatever. But but it's not gonna be your experience. So like I looked at his experience and was like, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be X, Y, Z. Like all the things that I saw in my dad as like these horrific, like monstrous characteristics of his that I, you know, really didn't like. So I, I think I wouldn't look at my own addiction in that way. And I also like held uh, held my like addiction as like I'm just partying, like I'm just having fun. I'm not like. I, like I couldn't quit at any time, but I also didn't think that I was like my dad. Yeah. Because he was aggressive and violent and um, pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was I was those things too, but like I but not in the same like I was like right. I was like oh, it's, a, it's we're having fun. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like it's not the same. Like I, this I'm doing it in fun. <laughs> I, I, same. That was my, you know, because like I, before we hit record was talking, you know, I I tried some different drugs, but nothing was like, okay, yeah, I like this. Pretty much the opposite for the most part. Yeah. Except for pot. But um, but yeah, it was like booze. Like, come on. Like all my buddies, you know, I mean, you, you're yeah, driving yeah. from the Bay Area where I'm at here in the Central Valley. Yeah. And, a lot of my friends work hard, you know, manual labor, you know, blue collar type of guys. And so, you know, we would go and hang out and it's just kind of what you did and it became yeah. the norm. And, you know, I worked through college, so there was never really too much chasing ladies type thing and all that <laughs> stupid stuff. And I'm, <laughs> excuse me, a late bloomer as is with everything in life, it seems. So it just, it, it, yeah, it's still baffling to me. Like I knew better. I fucking knew better. Like, yeah. But anyway, it it happened anyways. Yeah, I had really um, like soft boundaries at home with my mother. Like oh. once my once my parents split up, and it was just my mom and I. Um, my mom's family's Dutch, and like alcohol was not. It wasn't. Everybody drank. Like everybody mm-hmm. drank all all day long. Like at her 
her parents' house. You know, like it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, you can't drink. Like I could drink. <laughs> like my mom was buying me, and my mom would hate to hear this, <laughs> to hear me retelling this, but like she would buy um, wine coolers for me, you sure. know, and. Um, How old? 13, you know, like right. she just, cause she, she just thought it was like, you know, it's like whatever, like it was, fine you know like she was kind of like you know like if you do it at home you know like it's fine like have a beer have a wine cooler like and there wasn't a lot of hard alcohol it was just like beer and wine so you know my friends would come over and like and she also was like you know don't don't buy a pack of cigarettes buy the whole carton and keep it here because it's cheaper (laughs) so you know my house was like the the party house you know like i mean we had we could we could smoke and drink. Grandparents and, smoke? Yeah, my okay. mom smoked, my grandparents smoked, like, yeah. A lot of a lot of people that I've known coming from that area, especially if you, you know, they're first or second generation, it's just, it was just so normal, it's yes. what you did, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. But I, but I had a lot of friends, their parents were that way too. It was just like, hey look, if you're gonna drink, drink here so you're not driving, or, yes, or like, yeah. I even had one buddy, I'm like, Wait, your parents just let you have sex? Like, oh yeah, my mom buys the condoms, and you know, I'm like, okay, is that cool or not cool? I don't know. In retrospect, yeah. like looking at that, like, you know, but uh, God, I don't know. How do you look at? I mean, you're a mom. How do you look at that? Well, like, I mean, so my mom was not okay with me having sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, that one. Like but, the drink, like drinking, that was fine. She didn't want drugs in the house. Like she was anti-drug, right. but okay with alcohol because she didn't see it like a drug um with my kids i think because i got sober when they were so young and they like they i took them to aa and na with me like when they were little you know so like i've always been like very um so i've always been very open with my kids like if you're gonna if you want to know about drugs ask me like I was like do you want to know what ecstasy is like do you want to know what acid's like do you want to know what it's like to smoke weed Um, I've always been really open with them about that and I think um, I wanted to always be clear with them like you can talk to me about anything I'm not going to judge you and I want you to feel like you know I wanted them to be safe and I feel like the sa- the best possible thing with kids is to educate them at home and let them know like you know this is what that's like like you can go experiment be safe about it like I my I um am constantly <laughs> giving my kids narcan <laughs> good <laughs> because I want them and it's not even that they use drugs but i want them because we're in the bay area the chances of one of their friends using or them being with somebody that might overdose or um just being out in the community like it's better to be educated and know how to use it than than not and not and be caught off guard and not have something when you need it for a life a literal life or death 
situation. While you're checking knocking doors down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. And it's interesting because I've definitely been, you know, mine are 14 and 13 and been very open with them about it. And even when I go speak at some high schools and stuff here, I always start off like I am not the D.A.R.E. program. Yes. Uh, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm sharing my experience and I'm sharing the experiences of many others that I've spoken to and where things could head. You know, that's one. I forget what uh, gentleman I stole this from, but it was, uh, you know. Hey, if you've had two beers and you would kill someone for a third, you might already be questioning if maybe some, you know, there's some issue there, especially if you have family lineage, especially with alcohol. Yeah. I mean, that's the one that seems to have the most direct correlation that they're finding through research. And it's like, you know, you need to be, this is about you being self-aware of you at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Boy, kids, Narcan, Bay Area. That's tough. It is tough. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's a reality. You know, it's just a reality that you have to you have to be prepared for it. Like I carried Narcan in my car. <laughs> I, oh yeah. <laughs> you same. know because I you know you don't know. Yeah. So I, and I'd rather be prepared than um, you know or run into somebody. You know, like I'll pass out Narcan to people because I'll just be like, hey, like. If, if I see somebody that looks like, oh, they might be a user and they might be, you know, like kind of traveling around right now, yeah. I'll just ask them, hey, do you do you need test reps or Narcan? Because I have some in my car. Right <laughs> so, on. you know, why not? Like, why not? Why yeah. not, you know, ma- avail it to people? Yeah, uh, let's jump into that. I mean, I want to come back to the book in a bit, but I mean, you're doing a lot of harm reduction work in the Bay Area, right? I am. I'm, I'm actually starting to work uh, with Glide. I worked as a volunteer with Glide Church okay. during the pandemic. And um, I'm starting tomorrow, actually, in a paid position with them right doing on. harm reduction. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm That's a, great. a syringe access navigator, I believe is the actual title. So, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's bad. We were talking about that with the Bay Area and, and, and in a lot of this stuff that, you know, I'm wondering when we'll get it. 
like some of the better models that are happening in the world with the harm reduction process but you know we've gone through such this thing and so many people well decrim decrim decriminalize yeah not knowing what the hell that means it just right. sounded really yeah. good to say because you know I, I don't look at you as a person of, of that's a criminal or myself now did I did my addiction lead to criminal acts <laughs> yeah yeah and I'm, yeah. I'm guessing probably you too for sure yeah um but as far as just the attic using and I'm just so disheartened by the fact that it's like, okay, good, we're not just taking someone that we can clearly see is 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 ill on the street and throwing them in jail because that's not going to help, especially if they go you know into detox in the next 24 hours. We know that's not going to they're not going to get any proper treatment there, yeah. but we're just leaving them on the streets, you know. Yeah, there needs to be, there needs to be better there needs to be programs for people and resources for people that 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 need the help and not just throwing them into jails i mean yeah. that that's not that's not going to solve the problem yeah it's not addressing the problem at all it's like just kind of a um it looks like we're doing something about it <laughs> from a certain standpoint but it's not addressing anything like it's just kind of perpetuating yeah. perpetuating the cycle yeah i think it, it, it i don't know about you i've had people in meetings like yeah you know prison jail for me was, was cool and that i became a better criminal and a better addict yes yeah you know i started making found connections better ways and, to use yeah. found better connects all of it yeah, yeah. and i mean gosh was it reagan shut down all of our mental yeah. health hospitals yeah. you know that's a uh, it's a shitty lineage to leave because this is what we've got now. Right, you know? yeah. And, yeah. And I know that's probably why, yeah, like, I mean, tell me about the the clean needle exchange and all these things and what you're going to be doing because I'm, I'm fascinated by it because there's nothing like that here yeah. where I'm at. There is I mean, in Fresno, but not oh, here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I've actually heard about the Fresno area. Um, I mean, it's basically just providing, you know, like uh, clean pipes, clean uh, syringes, cotton tourniquets alcohol wound care all that kind of yeah. stuff um to anyone anyone in the community that needs it and um i mean that's in my opinion that's that's the the route to go because you want people to have safe access to if the, i mean you're as an addict as a recovered addict it's it's not like um if you don't have access to clean needles, tourniquets, cotton, like if you don't have access to things, it's not gonna keep you from using. You're still gonna use. It's it. People are still using because there's fentanyl in, in, yeah. in heroin. Like it doesn't stop people. It just makes it more dangerous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I'm really excited about about working there because I think it's so important. It's so important that people have access to to what they need without being in in further danger. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, all there is, you know, uh, all the forms of hepatitis, HIV. I mean, who knows? What, gosh, what else? I mean, yeah. You know that I'm just unaware of and. And it is, and I and I I know a lot of people find it controversial, and I think they find it controversial because of the reality that so many people are being left out on the streets. Because yeah. a lot of those people, like I don't know about you, when I used, I forgot a lot of shit, and sometimes I, I was never an intravenous user, or, or really, like I said, more alcohol than any sort of drugs whatsoever. Um, 
but you know of course this stuff it's going to end up on the streets but we can't sit and continue to see it's a terrible thing because the needles are on the street or whatever it is yeah. it's like no there's a human that is behind that out there on the street yeah. that's what you should be it's upset somebody's, about it's somebody's child it's somebody's brother sister like yeah. yeah that's not it's not just a uh nameless faceless entity it's somebody's family yeah. you know that's a person that yeah. matters how do you think we get those individuals move them closer towards i don't know maybe a, a harm reduction path in 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 you know i mean suboxone methadone as much as i i'm personally against any long-term use of it but um except rare rare occasions like maybe older people that it's like it's obvious like eh, you're 70 okay <laughs> i kind of get it but not not when you're 25 not when you're 26 to be on it for you know there's a young man that i was told about has been on it for nine years you know and and he went through the rehab process at 22 you know it's 31 i yeah. mean and he's still He's not using any sort of street drugs, but he's still living in the same way. You know? yeah. And to me, that's disheartening. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know about you from your experience, though. I think, like, because I was on and off methadone so much, like, yeah. for to me, like, I think that, um, I think it's very individual. Like, sure. I think I know statistically, um, Although I haven't checked statistically statistics lately, <laughs> but from when I when I did read, like I think early on when I was writing my book, I looked up statistics just to confirm what what I was writing because I was like, is this still the case? Um, I think that um, people that are on long, like maintenance doses sure. of methadone have a better success rate than like doing like the twenty. 28 day detoxes or like shorter terms. Um, for me, like I know when I tried to do like uh, like a, a quicker detox with uh -huh. methadone, I had a harder time because the they dropped the dose so it was a blind dose so you don't oh, know how much you. you're coming down. Right, right. And so you get to a point, or I got to a point. I shouldn't say you. Like <laughs> I'm speaking for myself. Like anybody that's listening. Um, for me, like since I didn't know where my dose was at, I would, and I'd start to feel squirrely, like I might've been at 150 milligrams, who knows, but like, right. but mentally I was getting squirrely, you know, like I was yeah. starting to feel like, no, it's not holding me, you know? So, and I knew like, well, I only have, you know, a week left on the detox or whatever, so I would just be like, fuck it, like I'm gonna go use, you know? Right. And so I think when I was on maintenance, I had a goal. Like, and I was working with the counselors and I knew, like, I knew more where my dose was at. I had more control over it. And um, I was doing 12-step at the same time, which was also controversial. And I got, <laughs> I got a lot of flack, flack for that, yeah. Um, but I kind of, I kind of just was like, I don't care. Like, I don't care that you don't like that I'm on methadone. Right. Um, this is my life. It's my life. Like I have to do what's gonna work for me. I um, I had kids that were little and I had, uh, I was in the middle of a custody battle, you right. know? So like um, going to treatment was not an option. Like that would have been like, okay, you're gonna lose your kids. Like absolutely I would have lost my kids mm -hmm. to my ex. Like I had, I had no doubt in my mind that that was gonna happen yeah. if I went to rehab. 
So I was like, that's out of the question. Like, how how do I get better and like uh, without like letting everyone know <laughs> that yeah. I'm that I'm get, that I'm you know <laughs> like I, that I've you know gotten to this level in my addiction. Um, and I don't think my ex husband had any idea that I was that I was struggling with the. To, with addiction to the degree that I was. I think right. he thought that I was like, you know, partying <laughs> here right. and there, but I don't think he knew that I was going through, you know, like hundreds of Vicodin in a week and like, you know, buying, you know, like I was doctor shopping up and down like the 680 corridor and like, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so for me, like, um, I mean, it sounds dramatic, but I, I, think that methadone saved my life. Sure. Um, methadone and 12-step were like, I I just, I I used them as tools to to make to make a better life for myself and my kids. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care what, what anybody else thinks about it because I don't have to answer to you. Yeah. I have to be a parent to my kids and I, I want to be alive, you yeah. know? So yeah. it was about like saving my own life, you know? Yeah. So. And, and, and I, I've unfortunately seen that firsthand as some people in 12-step rooms a little too judgmental. Like I've thought about it, you know, with with alcohol. I was lucky, you know, people asked what the amount that I was drinking when I stopped because it was a cold turkey, you know, was it Vivitrol, the one that they give alcoholics, I think, oh, to help yeah, yeah. With, with the cravings or, or to not have any of the... Yeah, I always forget what it, what it is. But I probably would have taken it as an option because I was deathly afraid. I was like, am I going to have seizures? You know? Right. I mean, yeah. I was, I'm a tall, skinny guy. I was doing, you know, God, I did the math. It was like 280, 300 beers a week, you know? Yeah. It's a lot of alcohol. Yeah. I, people have asked. I said, and, and my liver, kidneys, thank goodness, are fine, according to yeah. my doctor. But yeah. I said, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of the, you know, Beer has a lot of water in it too. I don't know, you know, because because yeah. it was one of my rules. Uh, you, you know, do you ever go through the rules for yourself? Because oh mine God. was yes. no more hard alcohol. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the rules. Yeah, the, I had, and they would they would fluctuate too. You know, yeah. like you'd have a you'd have like these set rules for like three days or maybe a week. Sure, right. <laughs> really ambitious. I'd have them for a week, you know, and then. Um, and then you just be like, okay, new set of rules, you know. Yeah. That th those rules didn't work, so new set of rules. Because you'd end up breaking one. You'd anyways. end up breaking them, and then you feel terrible. You know, then you have this shame spiral because you can't even mm. adhere to your own rules that you're making up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk the shame spiral because I don't know if a lot of people, when I try to talk to non-addicts about it, the best way I could put it is, uh, I feel bad, so I use. And when I use, I feel bad. Yeah. And I'm like, picture that visually. It's just this thing of going around and around, and you know. And it was, I mean, Jesus, it was. It was just a life of going around and around. Yeah, awful. Kind of existing. I don't, yes. you know. Yes, yeah. I don't know. You have another way that you phrase it for people? Um, I'm trying to think if there's another way that I've phrased I don't think so. But it was definitely like when I think about when I think about uh, 
that time in my like the end of my using in particular like I picture like an actual whirlpool like in like a horror film or something like where somebody's like spiraling down into like darkness <laughs> you know like circling the drain <laughs> because that's how it felt you know like and it felt like you were only le- you know like I was letting myself down in that when I would you know st- stop using start using again um but but it, I would you know also think like oh my kids like what am I doing to my kids you know um my family my mom you know like it, because at some point when I had told my mom that I was you know actually a heroin addict you know she was she was upset but she wasn't shocked because she, she because she had questioned me so many times about like are you on drugs and she my mom has no reference for like what it's like to be on drugs right. so there were many times like throughout my life where she thought I was on drugs and like I I actually wasn't at the time or like one time she found um, I had a, a friend that had gotten these this was in like junior high school and I had a friend that had her brother had brought back these weird cigarettes from like some he was in the military and had got these Turkish cigarettes or something I don't know they were really strange looking and so I had them like in a Ziploc bag and my mom was like what is this (laughs) (laughs) is this pot and I was like no they're it's you know they're just cigarettes and and she didn't believe me so she took them to somebody at work to verify that they were actually that it wasn't pot and they were like I don't know what this is but it's not pot uh. um but but by the time I told my mom you know she 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 was suspecting that something was up you know because I was you know I wasn't returning phone calls I wasn't coming around like I would just disappear you know like I would just um I would just disappear, you know, and I had kids, so, you know, she'd be concerned, you know. Um, There was one time I was supposed to be on a a flight to another country, and um, I was supposed to call her when I I was going to France, and so I was supposed to call her when I got to France, or when I landed, and I didn't call. And so, you know, like, and this, so this goes on for a while, and then eventually um, she talks to someone else uh, that I was going to be with there, and they're like, "No, she never showed up." So my mom's like panicking, you know, and I, I didn't ever make it on the flight. Like I chose to like, I had an anxiety attack attack on the plane on the tarmac, and left the plane and like went to a hotel and like just got loaded for like three days and like didn't bother, you know, because I knew my kids were with right. my mom and they were taken care of and like I compartmentalized like okay that part that part of my life is all so it's being taken care of right now and I can go just lose my mind <laughs> so I did exactly. like I went to a hotel in Oakland and just you know kind of you know was wow. drinking and using and and then um by yourself I th- I must, I can't remember if there were other people I think it was probably just by myself I don't sure. remember other you got that people point, fuck you there. i'm not sharing this yeah right. yeah so i think i think i was just there by myself and i did like you know it was like two or three days later i did get back on i did take the flight and go but um 
you know, I have to explain that. I had right. to explain to my mom, and I've had anxiety since I was little, so I would use that as a scapegoat a lot of times. Sure. I would say, oh, I was having I was having such anxiety, like I just, I couldn't, you know, that was like my, my thing, I just couldn't do it, right. I just couldn't. So um, I would just, you know, bail. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean, that's that was like my MO for a long time. Just Did you understand though that it was anxiety? Like for me, until I really started working it, you know, yeah. my first stint of sobriety was a dry drunk. I was no meetings. He went to one. Ah, whatever. Your BS and your higher power bullshit. And yeah, yeah. You know, but when I really started working, it's like, oh my god, I suffer from anxiety. Yes, yeah. I didn't even really realize what yeah. these feelings, these you yes, know, the yeah. mind running, all of that was. Right. Yeah. I mean, I knew from a pretty young age that. Um, I had anxiety because I, I worked with, a th- I started working with a therapist like when I was really young and um, I knew that I had depression early on. Um, so, I mean, I, I knew that intellect, like intellectually, as intellectually as you can know as like, you know, a 14 year old, but I wasn't, I didn't have the tools that I have now. Right. You know, like I was learning and I had a great therapist um, who you know really did help me like figure out like okay you're you're you know the things you're explaining you're you're that you're telling me about sound a lot like anxiety like um tell me more about that like well how do you how do you deal with that so i did learn techniques like you know like okay i can feel my feet on the floor like i'm like you know just like relaxing breathing um doing all the things to kind of like ground myself and and get through the moment and like realize okay you're not gonna die (laughs) (laughs) but but we feel feel like like it it does it feels like it's the weight on your chest and you can't breathe and you know it's it and it's odd because you shared that you too suffering from depression it's like when we have depression we're just fine with dying when, yeah. when we have anxiety, yeah. it's like, I feel like I'm going to die and I don't want to die. Yeah. You know? And I don't know what to do about it. Like, exactly. how do I make it stop? And it feels like it's going to last forever. You know, like, I'm always going to feel this this sense that I need, I'm jumping out of my skin, that yeah. I can't, you know, like, that I can't be contained within <laughs> my physical body. Like, yeah. it's a uh, terrible feeling. It is. And, but you, I interrupted you, but you were sharing some of the techniques that you use now. I mean, you know, what are you... How, what what all do you do? I've started doing breath work. I think it's magical. Yeah, I, I mean, do. I do some. I I heard. Um, was it Jeremy Jackson on yeah. your show was talking about breath work? I I do breath work. Like I did. Um, I used to do Kundalini yoga, like a, a subset of mm. Kundalini yoga that my ex husband did, and it it was all about breathing. And I still apply those techniques to like you know like I'll you know you do the visualization of like seeing like your breath drop down through your body and right. you know it it is um whether you're into like woo woo stuff <laughs> or not like there is it's very calming yeah you know like and it's it puts you in a better mindset and if i'm stressed out about whatever if i go sit and and just think about my breathing and like letting it come down through my body and like relaxing and like um and just reminding myself like you're gonna get through this it's gonna be okay just breathe (laughs) there's something very transformative about that there is yeah oh well it was funny i forget who told us to do this 
And when I say us, I mean when when Mikey, my co-host, was still still working with me on this. Um, but they they were, they said, uh, "Hold your breath," like because it'll prove to you real quick that you're breathing when you hold your breath. Yes. Like, wow, that's a really weird, valid point. I never thought of that. Like. Oh wait a minute! I'm not breathing. Oh, I can breathe. Like, yes, there's, yes. You know, it's these weird little tricks that we start to develop to trick the body, and then bring the mind in alignment with it too. Yeah. Uh, I think I was telling you beforehand when I was, you know, struggling with some confidence in things, and the, the, I was assigned by a mentor of mine, Adam Jablin. Uh, you know, you pick some mantras you like, and one of them I picked up from one of our group meetings was, "I don't do fear." It was yeah. Like, Okay, repeat, you know, work these things. And they might they might sound silly to people, but I'm going to look in this camera. They work. It works. It starts to reprogram the brain. It does. And we yeah. have to because we've been so screwed up with our reward system wanting to get a fix. Yes, yeah. I have a friend, um, my friend Joe has this saying that I guess he found on a fortune cookie, which I didn't know <laughs> until recently. I was like, what? That's where you got it? And it's deep abiding faith eliminates fear. And I, I'm like, I love that. Like that, yeah. it's such a, like sometimes when I'm anxious, I hope I'm repeating it right. I think that's what it is. I mean, that's the idea of it is that, you know, like it's faith over fear. Like it, yeah. you just, like sometimes I'll just like, like if I'm having anxiety or fear, I'm like, just lean into it. Like it's gonna be okay. Like let, let go, like surrender to it. Like you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay no matter what. Like you're gonna come out of it. Just let go. And uh, and let faith take over. Yeah. It's hard. It is hard, and it takes practice. Like oh. it, it, I think it's it's hard. It's harder at first. The more you practice, like relaxing and like just telling yourself you're going to be okay. Yeah. Like the more you do that, the more you believe it. Yeah. Well, it starts to become your new baseline, right? Right. You know, whether yeah. before. You know, at this level, this was how your life was. But when you incorporate these things, then they become practice and and just part of the good habits. It, it just becomes the norm, and then right. you can start yeah. stacking yeah. more stuff in there. Um, which I definitely I don't know about you, and I definitely see it with young people that I talk to in recovery. They're just trying to stack too much too quick, and that's an easy way to get right yes. back to it. Yeah, for sure. I'm yeah. sure you went through that. Yes. Yeah. I'm like a busy person though. Like I've always got like, I'm very like high energy. So I'm always like, go, go, go. Yeah. I'm like, okay, what's next? Like, what? let's do this. I kind of <laughs> sense that when we were talking about you being on the pot, I'm like, well, if you want to drive, cool. I'm on the way. <laughs> I'm, like, like, I'm on the road. I'm like, well, Where it's about you? two hours, but you know. Uh, I agreed before you even, t- you could have been like in San Diego and I was like, I'll be there. Uh, when, when do you need me there? <laughs> I love it. No, I'm the same way though. I, I you know situations like yes i want to do that it's just a little drive wait what am i doing yes <laughs> yeah it's just a little drive yeah. were you always that way even as a kid i think so yeah i think yeah i think i've always kind of been like that i'm always kind of like leap first and then figure it out or right. leap and figure it out while you're leaping <laughs> because i'm just like i'm always kind of like up to do whatever you know like i'm like yes let's do it what what is it that we're doing i don't care <laughs> let's <right>. do it <laughs> you are the walt whitman my favorite walt whitman quote uh be curious not judgmental right like, yeah for right. sure you know and i find i'm finding now uh you know after my la my my last relap 26 months ago that it, that my curiosity is getting bigger again because it's like you know um 
and I want to share that about relapse. It was important for me, and I yeah. know you've been through it too, because because yeah. I learned something. I learned a lot in that one, a very imperative thing to learn, especially boundaries. And it's, um, but I'm finding my curiosity is really growing more, and it's an exciting thing. Yeah, you know, it's like oh. I love curiosity. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. just one of those whimsical people, like, huh? I live in the Bay Area. I know somebody has a boat. They go out all the time. <laughs> hey, are you going out today? I'm gonna, you know, or I, what? that is absolutely something I would do. I mean, yeah, I'm just that. I'm that person that's like, hey, you have a pool? Can I come over and sw-? like? I I don't have any problem like asking, asking if I can yeah. join in on something. You know, I'm not I'm not shy at all. <laughs> so um, my uh, my dad, w- one of his. Like he, one of the things he always said to me, um, I mean, besides telling me to part my hair on the whatever side or put on a different pair of socks or fix my dress, um, he he always said, "Don't ever be afraid to ask because the only thing that can happen is they can say no. Mm. If you don't ask, you don't you don't even have that option, you know." So, so I. Um, I'm always like willing to like put myself out there. Because I mean, it, uh, worst case scenario, you're going to get rejected. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you've <laughs> you always rejected handled rejection pretty well. I mean, I modeled and had did acting. Oh so. yeah, of course. I was going to get to <laughs> so, that soon you know. enough. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Let's jump back. So I want to jump back to the book. Of course, um, uh, see, swallow me. Well, where did you you get the title from? A song? I did get the title from a song. And who was it? I forget. It's the, the Cocteau art. Twins. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, acting, modeling. I mean. Pretty started pretty young. I started pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not doing like big stuff, but sure. like little stuff. And then um, in my twenties, I you know was doing a lot more work. Yeah. That was like the nineties were like the height of my modeling and acting. But so, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So rejection is just part of it, though. Uh, absolutely. I mean, harsh. Yeah. yeah. Harsh. Did you? I mean, you have to kind of know. I mean, I was also really loaded. <laughs> Time. So that made rejection a lot easier, but sure. um, but you just have to know, like going into it. Like I went, I, you know, like any actor or or models, even like you, you go to a casting and there might be like hundreds, yeah. hundreds of other, you know, like beautiful people that are trying to do the same thing that you are. So, um, I think you know, like you just have to know, like you you might get rejected, but Right. You might not also. <laughs> yeah. I, Michael Keaton put it really well. He went, he went um, when he was handling rejection, he said, uh, I'm going to change the way, or maybe as his wife said something, I can't remember how it was, but he said, the gig isn't the job. The audition is the job. So I already got the job. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah. it's just what part am I going to play in the, in the final product of this film? Yeah. So either way, the job will be, A, I get the part, or B, I did my job, and I helped the end result of this because it was they were able to put the right person in the right place. Right. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool way to think of it. Yeah. This a, a lot of it was experience, too. Sure. Like, because you might not get that part, but um, but you've gone and you've met people, and you've, you know, maybe made friends while you're at the casting, or um, found a good party that's happening later, <laughs> as was my case. And, right. You know, like a lot of that for me was like, you know, like, oh, you know, like making connections with people in in the party scene sure. also, you know, so. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny how much you can uh, 
when people like to hang out with you. Yes, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny. This reminded me when you were talking about that and rejection showing up and, you know, a bunch of beautiful people or talented people. I, I auditioned for a Just for Men commercial. Oh, you did? And, uh, hey, this beard is not, you know, I'm 44. This isn't, there's some gray here naturally. So I go and I didn't get it. And, and I'm like, I'm the only fucking guy that was there that uses just for men. How I'm like the perfect, I am the client. Yes, you know? yeah. So that was ego at that point. Yes, I auditioned for a um, commercial for a bipolar medication at one point and I was in my head I was like well they should just <laughs> give this to me <laughs> like that's a given like uh, <laughs> but I didn't get it <laughs> uh, well okay I was like, so, you kidding yeah, come on come on we were come per- on. who are they? look in that camera who are these people that didn't pick us out yeah um but there's a lot of... Do you want my medical file? Should I have brought that with my portfolio? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, there's a lot of negative that comes with it. I know, you know, much like myself, but in a different way, you endured some sexual abuse, too. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, how would you like... Comfortable sharing some of that? Absolutely, okay. yeah. I mean, it's in the books. <laughs> I know it's in the... Yeah. It's weird how some people... Yeah. Well, it's in my book, but I'm not as comfortable talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah. I mean, when did it start for you? Childhood? It started in childhood, yeah. 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 Um, it's interesting because I think my mom had at one point asked me if, I remember her asking me if my dad had ever touched me. I, she like broached the subject sure. and was like, because I think she thought something's off, like something's off with her. And I don't know. What it is like? Did she and she? I think she was trying to piece it together, and couldn't figure out. And so she thought it had probably been my dad. And I remember asking me about that, and I was like, no, like my dad was a lot of things. Like he was, you know, he was a larger than life, like you know, like kind of like big fish character, sure. kind of like tall tales and um, violent at times, and like. Uh, Lar- like just you know charismatic he, he had all these facets to him but though he was not he was not um predatory with me or right. and there was nothing sexual my it was my mother's father mm. um that had had started sexually abusing me when we moved from the midwest to to california and and it was really hard um it was hard for me as to deal with as a kid. I because I had looked at we we came from the Midwest, you know, for kind of a respite. Like we were looking for like sanctuary here. Sure. Like you know, we had come from a very, very you know volatile situation in the Midwest. My mother and I, and come out to the Bay Area, and I was like, okay, like like you know, like I can relax now. Like you know, like there was that feeling. Like I was young. You know, I was like yeah. nine years old, and almost immediately my grandfather started making advances toward me Um, my mom was you know trying to work she was working a lot we were living in their house and so i was at such a vulnerable place and i didn't i didn't know how to i didn't know how to deal with it i didn't know how to process it i didn't I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't know who to tell. Like it was, it was like he really took advantage of me at my most vulnerable time. Like having come from this, um, you know, like really hard situation with uh, 
I mean, I don't want to give away too much of my book, no, but there was, you know, there was like, my, you know, there was like a kidnapping plot with me and I was drugged and, you know, like all this stuff, you know, like I had come from that and then um, had to deal with my grandfather making sexual advances and sexually assaulting me. So, um, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with as a kid. Like it would be, it's a lot, for, it would be a lot as an adult to yeah. deal with. But um, yeah, it was it was hard. Goodness. Yeah. How did you, or do you struggle now um, with with trust, especially with intimacy? I I do. I mean, I do. I'm aware that I have certain trust issues, but I think also like because I've done so. I mean, I've been in therapy for so long, I've been in therapy forever. Yeah. <laughs> so I think um, I have, and I have a great therapist, Like, um, and I've worked with him for literally decades, and I have such a great relationship with him, and he knows so much of my story, and he's known it for, I mean, I started working with him when I was thir 13, 14, and I've worked with him all my life. Like, I've worked with wow. other therapists, but you know, I kind of always go back to him because I'm like, oh my god, I have to explain all this stuff to them. <laughs> like, I'll just go back to Jeff because he knows, he knows, you know, like he right. knows how how I react to things and how I my the turnaround time on processing things and um, kind of my trigger points. Mm -hmm. So I do. I I mean, I of course I struggled. Like that, it's something when you've been assaulted in that way as a child, there's no way it's not gonna impact you for life. There's no way. Mm -hmm. um, but I recognize, like I can recognize when I'm feeling, like you know, you can feel the ratcheting sensation in you. Like when you're like, oh, I know this feeling. You know, like I know what this is. So I know how to deal with it. And you know, like I, I used drugs and alcohol to lubricate like yeah. that or you know like dull that sensation yeah. for so long that you know like it's um it takes practice to learn like when you have those feelings come up where it's like oh this feels familiar what does this remind me of oh it's that feeling okay how do i deal with that what's my go to 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 process to process that and to go through this so um it's just yeah, a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of like you know, I, it took me it took me a long time to yeah. get to that point, yeah. and I think it's still it's a, a work in prog like every sure. day is a work in progress. Sure, well, I, I, thank you. Um, yeah, for thank being you. Being so vulnerable because yeah, I know for me, especially you know with my partner now, thank goodness for her patience and kindness when I finally knew and uh, you know and just that communication communication that's necessary with, with her you yeah. know um, um, it's it doesn't spike too often with with us anymore but it certainly did and it was like wait a minute I don't have anything to just be like yeah whatever you know and, right. and I just want my dopamine and endorphins yes. and serotonin just give it you know it's like oh my goodness like 
I actually have to feel. <laughs> like it's not yeah. just this physical feeling. Like there is these emotions here and this yeah. really deep caring of this person. And, you know, much like you said, I got nothing to lubricate it. Loosen me up, you know. Yeah. Uh, trick my brain. And um, it's, yeah, it's a process for anyone. And, and, and I just... I don't know. If anybody, I I know so many of us, and I'm sure you've seen it. That that you know, I've met very few addicts that actually go. I don't think I had any trauma. Yeah. <laughs> you know, very few. Yeah. And uh, I think it's just part of that that processing and communication and communicating, especially with people you can trust, and that's that's tough too. Yeah. Especially when it's somewhere you've been violated. I mean, yes. yeah. I, you know, I think next to total mutilation, murder, you know, sexual, robbing someone of that is just, yeah. I don't have the words right now. Yeah. I think you know what I'm saying. I do, yeah. yeah. It's just, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't totally ever go away. No, it doesn't. You know? It's but, always there. Yeah. Yeah. But we can, we can manage it. Yes. You know. And, and have successful relationships and all those yeah, things yeah. everything else. Why a book? Why now? I mean, you're doing so much different. You've done so much different writing over the years. Why Why your book now? Um, I, I've always written. Like, it's kind of always been my go-to, you know, like to yeah. just as a creative outlet. I mean, you even share that in the book. Yeah. Where it's some of your, yeah. 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 Um, so I, I started, I started writing the book probably 15 years ago and I had I had tons of notes I had like like you know napkins <laughs> notes and like spiral bound like sticky notes like I had all these notes and um my my kids were like you need to write a book like you need to write your book like you need to finish it yeah. already yeah. <laughs> so really like during the it was and and i'd work on it like i'd work on it in like chunks you know like there was a like probably like eight years ago i got it pretty roughed out like it was pretty pretty much like the a very rough very very rough outline of what it, what it is and um and both my kids, my, my daughter just graduated with a creative writing degree from Mills College, <laughs> and my son's an artist, and um, they were both like, you have to do this. So it was, it was them. Like every, I'm not even kidding, like every day, my son would call me and be like, what are you doing right now? Why aren't you writing your book? Why aren't you working yeah. on your book? And my daughter, you know, helped with the editing and like, it's, it was just such a family project and they were so involved. They were like my biggest champions. That's they were cool. like, you have to write this. Like your story is important. Yeah. So. And it is. Thank you. That's cool. I yeah. love that. Do you think a lot of the, the having the kids with you in the 12 the step meeting rooms and stuff kind of helped? and. Yeah, I mean, it, I didn't have a choice. Like right. it was like if, if that was like, it, it did. I was talking to somebody about this recently. I was like, um, I, I, it was a way also, like, because I really did not want to be, I mean, who wants to go to AA? <laughs> Nobody's like, I can't it's wait. not Let's exactly what we want on our resume. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, so I, at first, like, I would take them with me and I would kind of use it like, okay, well, if I really want to leave, I can just be like, you know what, my kids are getting fussy. I got to go. 
<laughs> so they were kind of like my way out, like a little buffer, which is terrible. Like that's terrible codependency and like all kinds of issues. But um, but you know, work in progress. So um, I mean, that was many years ago. I'm a much better person now. Probably, <laughs> probably, maybe. <laughs> no, um, but um, you know, so. I just took them because I was like, I need to go to a meeting. So grab your Game Boys or your coloring book or, you know, like when they got into, you know, when they were in school, grab your homework. Um, They have meetings that they remember that they liked better (laughs) because of like other kids that were there or like kitchen setups or like they had, you know, certain couches or whatever. But... um, this place had really good coffee, Mom. <laughs> yes, yeah, or snacks. <laughs> right. Yeah, some places had good, like, cookies, yeah. or, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was just, that was kind of their normal, I think. You know, yeah. it was just like, we... we. And I, I, my personal, I think it's a great, my sponsor, He he's done it with his kids. He's They've gone, they've seen, you know, yeah. and it's like, because he did too. And he's like, here's the irony, guys, is your dad did some crazy shit yeah. which his story's been shared on here um and i and i still succumb to it i still succumb to addiction you know yeah. by the time when i was when he was little you know his his mom and dad i think both had gotten clean at that time but you know it's like i'd rather they see all the all these tools and that there is a community of people that that hey and it's like when i speak to these teenagers at school it's like um I hope I never see you in in a in a twelve step meeting, but if I do, I'll welcome you with open arms. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and it's whew, it's tough, it's tough to see, but yeah, I think it's great. I need to get my kids going with me. They're like, "Gee, Dad, I can, I'm old <laughs> enough to stay home." <laughs> yeah, so. my kids got to that point too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I I've had uh, sponsees with kids, and they're like, "How do I?" how do I tell my like the you know their kids don't know that they have an addiction or alcoholism problem and I mean my my opinion on that is always like I they probably do know that something like kids aren't kids aren't stupid like they're they're smart like they're smart little creatures like um so I'm sure like my kids knew there was something up. They knew what what was happening at home wasn't normal. Like they would find me like bloodied and like passed out yeah. and you know like that you know they knew. They yeah. knew like they didn't know what was wrong. Like um I know my daughter recently was like she didn't understand like what heroin like when I told them like that I had a heroin addiction. I mean, I probably should I probably should have like I don't know. I, I I could have probably done it a better way. Work explaining it to them at their age, but um, I think retrospectively and like you know for for others, it's important for your kids to know that you're struggling with something. You know that that um, because they're they're gonna sense that something's not right. Just the way I did, even mm-hmm. with with my dad, like even when he wasn't drinking. I knew that something, or when I didn't know that that what he was drinking was the cause, or like, you know, like, so he drinks in the morning, he drinks from our bar in the morning, but I didn't realize, like, that's not normal, or or that's why he's this way. Sure. It took me a long time to realize, like, oh, okay. Like, I remember one time making a joke that that I had heard, re-heard, I had heard on Little House on the Prairie, 
I heard the phrase. <laughs> He's drunk as a skunk. And like I and I pieced it together from watching Little House on the Prairie that like, oh, it's the alcohol that's making him like, oh my God, my that's that's my dad. That's yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. he's like that. And so I jokingly in our front yard in like, you know, like suburban <laughs> Nebraska, <laughs> like was like, dad's drunk as a skunk. Like I said this to my mom like aloud and she was like, like it's shushing me. Right. You know, she was like, oh my God, don't, sh-, you know. The shame. <laughs> yeah, she was like, oh, and I was like, oh, he really is. Like, you know, like I realized like, oh wow. Oh, he, it's the alcohol. It is the alcohol. Yeah. Like it confirmed like, what I had heard Nellie Olson or Laura Ingalls say. I was like, oh, it really is the alcohol. Okay. Uh, I know. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, my mom had told me this that I had said one time, like, is dad on drugs or something? You know? Because, like, vacations, we would go and he'd want to, like, sleep the first day. Like, we'd go to Florida to Disney World or something. I'm like, oh, shit. You know? Yes. Uh, yeah. He's coming down. Uh-huh. You know? Maybe going through a withdrawal. And you know, it's like, oh, fuck. It kind of reframes your childhood. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of, did you ever get any reciprocity with your dad at any point? Uh, so my dad, so I had to testify against my dad in court at one point. And then. Okay. Um, and you laid this out in the book. Too, I did. Right? Yeah. yeah. And he. We don't have to go too far, but. So he was very angry that I testified against him and was very very bitter um and did not speak to me for almost two decades like it was like 16 years i think and then um he remarried he married his fourth wife and um he i guess he got sober i don't know i don't know to what degree i don't know if he was you know like i don't know what that looked like for him but um but he made an amends to me. Hmm. And so we had a relationship where we were speaking. He would send me these postcards because he'd had a stroke uh, and he could type better than write. So he would type out these postcards to me and send them to me throughout the week. So we, we had this relationship where we were like actually building like a healthy relationship and then he was diagnosed with cancer and passed away. Mm-hmm. So it's bittersweet. Like we we did have a relationship and get to have um, time together, like where we were both sober. Yeah. And then he passed away. Yeah. So I can I can relate in the sense my dad's still here, but you know when I really started working my sobriety and he had had an accident quadriplegic and it's like oh shit you know yeah value every day absolutely yes i want to talk about the art of course people who are watching on the youtube can see it so i'll put it up there that camera it's a dope cover where where did you come up with this art what's Uh, the inspiration that is that's a shoot i did in the 90s and um i love the and I, I worked with the cover artist, um, this woman named Colette Elliott, who's up in um, Washington, like n- the Pacific Northwest area. And um, I told her I wanted it to have kind of a Valley of the Dolls, um, kind of, you know, like heroin kind of look to yeah, it. Yeah. And we went back and forth on a lot of things. And I had a cover. She came up with a cover that I was like, I love it. It's great. And I sent it to 
my kids. And I was like, this is the cover. And my daughter was like, meh. (laughs) (laughs) And my son was like, no, that's not it. And he sent me back um, a rock poster, like a like a 90s like grunge rock yeah. poster. And he was like, this is you. He's like, this is what you're like. He's like, you are rock and roll and you're like, let's fucking do this. Let's yeah. go. He's like, you're crazy. Like you're, he's like this, he's like, it's not enough. He's like, you, it needs to be dialed up. And then my daughter was like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So then I, so then I, you know, I go to the cover artist and I was like, okay, so the cover that I just told you that I love, like my kids are like, it needs to like be amped up. And so I sent her um, a rock poster, like, you know, that um, from like the Fillmore, something that my son had sent me. And um, I was like, so maybe, this kind of vibe with what you already have and then she sent me this back and i was like i was like that's it <laughs> that's, that's definitely it that's it i love it so yeah and, and for people that haven't been to the fillmore in san francisco are completely robbed of the posters oh for some God. of the concerts yeah 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 i think the last show i saw there this is kind of dating it i, I kind of stopped going to the Bay Area, I don't remember when, but uh, Motorhead there, and it was such a great poster. I was like, oh, yes. I finally get to see Motorhead. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, the rock posters from, like, any San Francisco venue, are, like, there's just, like, a whole, you know, yeah. like, an archive of, like, fantastic yeah. posters. Yeah, yeah, there's so much cool shit that, that happened there. Gosh, yeah, that's one of the things I do miss about living there is, like, I, I was a friend of mine, she lives in Sweden now with her family, and uh, Billy Idol was doing a, a, a homestand. And we were like, want to go see Billy Idol? Had a great time. Want to go see him again in a couple nights? Yeah, let's go see him yeah. again. You know, it was just like, yeah. that was so great. Loved it. Loved it there. Uh, if people want to grab the book. They can get it at uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, Smashwords. It's anywhere you can find it on the internet. You can find it. You can find the links on my Instagram. But yeah, if you Google see Swallow Me, Suki Jones, you'll find it. Yeah, and we'll yeah. put that in the podcast description. Make it easy for people. Yes. Random questions? Sure, I okay. love random questions. All right. Yeah, you listen. You know the, you know the get down here. Random <laughs> questions and you get the final thoughts. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Being the ear, because people can't see it on the camera, you're pretty well tatted, too. I am pretty tatted, yeah. yes. Uh, let's go, like, top three live concerts you've ever been to. Oh, man, that's hard. Just okay. Um, that is a random question. I was, I've was i listened to so many of your podcasts, and I'm, I'm like, okay, what might he ask? But you're, like, saying, uh, well, you know, you're, mom, you're a but rocker. You I'm can't ready, just say, so let's I see. Okay, so... Um, Wow, that's a hard. I mean, I've seen a lot of shows, and I worked. I worked um, as a buyer 
when I was pregnant with my daughter for Tower Records, so I had like VIP. Nice. <laughs> so, okay. Um, one of my favorite shows that I that I saw ever, I, mean, I know I'm gonna forget some, um, was a band called The Throwing Muses, who were very like indie um, band in the 90s and I saw them at the Berkeley Square in Berkeley and the power went out and they played acoustically and it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. So that would definitely be in there. Um, it's so funny because like if I'm on like Instagram or Facebook, I'd be like, oh yeah, this this show, this show was great. <laughs> um, let me think. I remember seeing Heart, the band Heart, when I was really young, like one of my first concerts, and that concert will always like be magical to mm -hmm. me. Um, oh my God, this is hard. Nirvana, Debbie, uh, Blondie, like I mean, there's just, uh, Metallica, Death Angel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of good, really good shows. I don't know, I don't know how to pick. That's all right. Yeah. You threw out some good ones yeah, there. Yeah, That's funny. I didn't expect you to throw Death Angel in there. Like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I worked with uh, Rob Cavastani. Really? From Death Angel. Yeah. At Tower Records, at the very same Tower Records in Concord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a that's great guy. <laughs> right on. Yeah, we grew up, you know, within miles of each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, shooting in Metallica, I mean, God, you know, growing up in the Bay Area. Yeah. You know, I mean, gosh, they were... Yeah. Anyways, it's, uh, we could go on and on about that. What are some ones I wrote? <laughs> it? Um, here's a fun one. Uh, what advice would you give to, to uh, your previous boss if you could? A previous boss. A previous boss. I haven't had the most. I haven't had the most traditional job, so that's kind of a hard one. Um, Which is cool. Okay. Without without. Without getting sued, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to name names or locations. I'm not right, so we're, we're not going to say any names. But there was someone that I worked with on a TV show, and I would just say, <laughs> because he was technically my boss, that um, I my advice to him would be to be nicer to your employees. <laughs> All right. uh, were you uh, acting at that time? Yes. Oh, you were one of the talent. Job. Yeah. Oh Lord! Uh -huh. Yeah, directors can. Well, I'm not saying it was a director. Could be an executive producer, uh -huh. producer, or something. But yeah. boy, yeah, some of them. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I had one. Yeah, he. No, this person notoriously would say, "Do you feel guilty cashing your check <laughs> to the men? Mostly, the like people, like women, attractive women." He didn't say he was, you know, right. not rude to, but men like would just he would just belittle wow. them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there, uh, there's something weird within performing. So having been around the me record industry as I was 20 years, and it, there's just yeah, you see so much ego, and like people's damage can come through so easily. Mm -hmm. Just like uh, I was, I was listening to something. The the Lawrence brothers have a podcast, and I forget which one it was. Was talking about where he got dropped from his agency because there was a big director. That and he said, I could have been in a Marvel movie, but, and it was, you know, come to my hotel room, then it was solicitation, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens yeah. predominantly to women, but it's happening to men too. And it's, 
it's fucking sad. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. sad. You know, and it's sad too. On the other hand, as a, a friend of mine, Brianne Davis said, and he goes, "Yeah," or she said, "Yes," but there's many people that do use it to their advantage, and it's like, Ew. yeah. Mm-hmm. Pet peeves, stuff that irks you. What uh, a noise, Suki! You're so f- fun. Like I just see <laughs> it's like, oh well, traffic. Mm, uh, yeah, traffic. I don't like. I don't like. Uh, I really don't like when people don't tip well. Or when people are rude to retail staff, I'm like, mmm. Same. <laughs> That's mmm. Same. I don't like. <laughs> like it. I'm not gonna be friends with you if you're not if you're like not being cool with people that are working retail jobs or restaurant servers or not tipping. I think it's a sign of someone's character. It definitely is. You know. I mean, I think so. I. I it should have been a good red flag, and there are many. I was seeing this woman we were out of town for a concert and uh you know it was like a barry kind of atmosphere place i think i'd stopped drinking at that point per my recollection i don't remember ordering anything to drink but <laughs> that's neither here nor there and the lady that was helping us she was in like kind of like this bustier looking top or something and and uh the person i seen who got on you know whatever what's the the yelp was that the one where you oh, leave reviews yes. or what? Yeah, Just yeah. the most worst one. And she was terrible. I'm like, well, the food wasn't great. She was really nice. Yeah. You know, but it's like, oh you felt the certain way because and so you're just gonna be a dick. Yeah. It's like that's yeah. a sign of character. Yeah. You know. It's like know. some misplaced agenda, you know. It is. It's a lot They're of like projection, taking, it right? It is projection, yeah. Oh. There's something not right with it. Yeah. How do <laughs> tip you, your servers. Tip your servers, <laughs> Be exactly. nice to retail people. Exactly. But let's talk projection. I'm going to – we're getting a little random here at this, but how do you kind of deal with people like boundaries? Yeah. It's, well, some of the hard stuff, people that have been through through sexual trauma, boundaries are tough. Yeah. And I meant to ask you about boundaries earlier, but <laughs> we'll I'm going to ask now. Like, come I, right back to that. Yeah, I'm curious about your process, the, working on boundaries, how you kind of, you know, continue to. I'm, um, I, I'm kind of like, a, I'm kind of a contradiction because I'm, uh, I'm a contradiction as a person. I'm very like open and I'll like hug anybody, sure. and I'm like, you know, um, outgoing and like you know very bubbly. But I'm also like at the same time, like if I'm not, if I, if somebody's energy isn't right, or like if they're like giving, like if they're very negative, or um, or if they're trying to be too forward with me, or like something that I don't feel is appropriate, I have no problem saying I'm not okay with that. Yeah. So like I'm very approachable and bubbly, but at the same time, if you if you get if you try to push it or like I'm not like w- wanting what you're yeah. putting out, <laughs> I have no problem like shutting it down. Like I have no problem saying like, nope, that's it. You mm. know, like that's not that's, picking that's up what you're putting li- down. I'm here. not p- picking up what you're putting down. Like this is the line. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it is it hard with you know, family members, people that are closer. Because I still kind of struggle with that at times. A little yeah. bit, I kind of go, you know, self-dialogue. I think I let them kind of cross my boundary. And it's not that it's like a huge violation one, but it's also, yeah. a, you know, like 
no, that didn't feel good. Like, you know, that's yes. a no-go. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably, like, my mom is, like, the... Like where the line gets a little shadowy, sure, sure. <laughs> or a little wiggly, <laughs> yeah. Because there's things that I'm like, I don't want to do that, and that's not my job, and you know. But then I'm like, uh, but I also like in situations like that, I try to look at it as a um, okay. I don't want to do this, and um, I'm not happy about doing it or whatever. But I'm being of service. She needs she needs help. Um, and I'm being of service. So I try to look at, I try to reframe it. You know, so like I have some, some wiggle room with my boundaries, but like, you know. Yeah. Especially with family. Oh yeah, no, same. I've <laughs> Who had doesn't, to... you know, like how do you not? Yeah, I mean, it's the closest interpersonal relationships yeah. usually, you know. Yeah, and, uh, like my, my boundaries are usually like a line. And then with my, with my family, it's like when you have the jump rope and you're like wiggling it on the cement <laughs> where it's like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Sometimes we gotta, yeah. yeah. Oh, and relationships, forget, oh, that's tough. But necessary, <laughs> yes, you know? Some people yeah. go, oh, a healthy relationship, there's not, nothing we don't share or tell or what. Like, yeah, but that means you've established good boundaries. Yes. You know, even with partners, you gotta go, whoa. Like you're poking the bear here. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chill out. Yeah. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'd be really tempted to take invisibility just so I could like, just like <laughs> be like a fly on the wall places. But I think, I think probably time travel. I think it'd oh. be fun to like, just be able to like leap into like different, time I'd, I'd love to be able to go to like studio 54 <laughs> i was gonna ask where would you go then when yeah yeah i think even now still sober you think it'd be fascinating i do yeah like i would love to be dancing at studio 54 in like like with bianca jagger or right. Edie sedgwick or somebody <laughs> just like woo. <laughs> uh i would i just think it would get me in trouble that's all i think i'd just be like yeah, uh, who knows you're like time travel too dangerous next <laughs> yeah well i mean but it's uh, you know it's it's interesting that era and that vibe and you know yeah like me I'd, people have asked and i'd be like i don't know maybe the sunset strip but you know, and it's, a lot of my favorite bands came from that yeah. time. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know. It might be kind of cool to see Guns N' Roses before the they were Guns N' Roses. Think of all the shows you could go yeah. to if you could time travel. Yeah. You could go to, I mean, you could go to every show ever. Because right? you could just keep bouncing in and out. Right? I know. It would be like, when did Kiss perform their first show? Going there. All right, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's do two more. Uh, if a movie was made about your life, uh, what genre would you want it to be and who would you want to play you? Let's Ooh. go adult you. Adult me and what genre? I I would love, love, love to have my book made into like a series or a movie. Um, and I, I can't, I mean, I can't see it not being like a drama because right. it's, there's been so many dramatic occurrences in my life. Um, who would play me as a maybe I'm trying to think of people that people have like said like oh you remind me of um maybe Jessica Biel all right yeah probably Jessica Biel I like her range of you know as an actress yeah, yeah. I like her range and uh people that she's the she's one of the people one of the 
you know, famous people that people are like, oh, you remind me of. Yeah. Good and spunk. Got a lot of spunk, a lot of character. Similar coloring and mannerisms and that sort of thing. And I agree. I think, like, when when, when stories like yours are made into just a movie, it doesn't serve it. You know, it's like it, it, the ones are really good because you got to kind of be able to adulthood and connect it to childhood yes, and weave yeah. this stuff in. And, you know, somehow movies just, I'm sorry, an hour and a half, two hours doesn't do that, yes, right? Yeah. You know? I mean, heck, the, the book is, I uh, forgot how many, 240 pages, something like that? Something like that. So, you know, it's yeah. usually a page, uh, you know. Yeah. A minute or so. Or, There's a lot of time that spans yeah. in the book. Yeah. So, huh. I well, mean, just the 90s alone could be like <laughs> five episodes. <laughs> Hopefully we get it done. Limited series. Yes. Uh, what was the other one I was going to ask? I mean, you're a big music fan. What's the uh, what's the last song you listened to on purpose? You're like, the oh, I got to listen to that. on purpose. Okay, well, um, what the, oh, I listened to the Scorpions. Oh, really? Yeah, I love the Scorpions, yeah. What song did you uh, pick? Still Loving You. Oh, that's a wonderful yeah. I I've seen them, I think, four or five times, and I was bummed when I was in Europe. It was like their tour was two days ahead of us, oh. and I wanted to go, but it, stum- it led me to stumble upon their um, – it was with the, the it's live in Lisboa so Lisbon yeah, yeah yeah I don't know if you've ever heard that album where they perform with the Lisbon Symphony and it's like no, that I version haven't. of that and song I don't know how I have got to the best. I'll be listening to that on the drive home yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that version oh that one like may get some tears and then the the version of the zoo on that live yes. performance I, yeah the yeah. Scorpions are just like I mean, come on. I yeah. mean, like, like there's like rock ballads, and then like they have things like Blackout and the yeah. Zoo. Yeah, it's just like, ugh. And they don't get enough credit. People, <laughs> they do not like longevity. These uh-huh. guys have been. I mean, people are like, oh, you know, ACDC or Motley Crue, Kiss. Like, yeah, the Scorpions have been around since the early seventies. Yeah. This, yeah. this is 2023. They were still doing it. As far as I know, there's still some shows going yeah. on. Klaus yeah. is still up there. All right, everybody. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, thanks for coming and making the trip. Thank you this for has having been me. Awesome. It, was, it was a pleasure. Oh, it's all mine. Um, hey, the floor is yours. You get the final words. Anything that you want to share? Maybe lend to someone out there struggling, a loved one from your experience? Um, let's see. Even an I anecdote. Would... Uh, an anecdote. <laughs> Whatever mm-hmm. you want. Um, I would just say in closing that if if you're struggling with addiction or alcoholism, that um, that you should do whatever you have to do to get sober, to get your life back. Yeah. Like I I think um, like my recipe for getting sober isn't gonna be the same as someone else's, but I would say try everything. Like throw throw everything at the wall and see what sticks because you don't know what's gonna stick. Like look for the look for the light. Like look for where where you're gonna get find the hope. Like when you, even when it's uncomfortable, it's not the other thing is like it's not gonna feel comfortable at first. Like when you get sober, it's not gonna feel good. So you have to stick it out till till it feel it's starting to feel more normal because you're not used to it. Like you don't you don't know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just really glad that like I had uh, a fellowship of people that like would not 
leave me alone. (laughs) They were just, they wouldn't let me alone. Like they were relentless. Like the Oakland AA and NA people were like, we're going to pick you up. (laughs) We're taking you bowling. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) We're going for pizza. You know, like it was just like, okay, um, I guess I'm doing that, you know. But I didn't know what else I was doing. So, you know, like I didn't know what to do because you don't know. You don't know. Like if you've been drinking and using for years, you don't know. Your compass is broken. So like just just keep keep putting yourself out there and keep keep trying. Yeah. As we say, keep coming back. Keep right? coming back. How many years now? Twenty three. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's been a while. That yeah. is awesome. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.